If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. The undying love. Like, I know it sounds very cliche. I still don't really understand how I do it. So my, my goal was to be as realistic as possible. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. I was never the kind of guy to sit around and waste time uh, doing anything. Not only can you, but you should start late. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum 3, Happily Ever After. Have you ever torn open a Valentine's Day card from a crush filled with hope and passion only to stop after the first two lines, disappointment sinking in again and again with each word as you slog through yet another, roses are red, violets are blue? If you haven't, count yourself lucky. But I'm sure that somewhere, sometime in your life, you've encountered something that's pretty much that cliché. The word cliché is derived from the French word for stereotype, but not from the bigotist generalizations or unconscious prejudices we associate with that word today. In the early days of the printing press, a stereotype was simply a solid metal plate used for reprinting documents. In other words, it took something original and made it, well, not. At the same time, there was a certain form of printing known as dabbing, a method of duplicating printer's woodblocks by pressing the stereotype into molten metal and creating a reverse impression of its face. This process would make a sort of clicking sound, a sound which, to the French at least, apparently sounded like cliché. And thanks to onomatopoeia, the process of creating a word that imitates the sound of the thing it describes, cliché became the world's go-to word for describing something that once was original and now is not. It's fitting then that it was a Frenchman who best summarized the word. To be specific, it was Gérard de Nerval, a foremost author from the French Romanticism movement who once said, the first man who compared woman to a rose was a poet, the second an imbecile. These days, there's one genre that gets criticized for trafficking in cliches more than any other, and ironically, it was birthed from the Romanticism movement. I'm talking, of course, about the romantic comedy. I, I didn't want to make it this cliche, you know, Fabio kind of 
That's Anthony Sharada. He's the author of Finding Forever, a self-published romantic comedy that recently broke the Amazon Top 100 in its genre. Unlike many romance authors, a genre often considered by women for women, he's a man. And unlike many romance authors, including Gérard de Nerval, who was in fact born Gérard Labruni, Anthony doesn't use a nom de plume or pen name either. I, I never wanted to use a pen name. Um, I'm very proud of what I did. I, I'm not going to sit here and lie and like say that it wasn't a little nerve-wracking to be a man to write a um, romance novel. I know some people don't think it's a big deal, but... You know, it is pretty rare, and um, I didn't want any stereotypes attached to me or, or my name, but truthfully, that really didn't happen. He might not fit the romance author stereotype, but he does know a thing or two about romantic comedies. One of my favorite movies is uh, When Harry Met Sally. The inspiration for that came from Annie Hall. and It's a genre that gets a lot of criticism, but it doesn't always deserve it. As Anthony pointed out, some of the greatest movies of the 70s and 80s were romantic comedies. And, per usual, the genre stretches back even further than that. Back to the 50s, to Some Like It Hot, or The Seven Year Itch, or just about any movie Marilyn Monroe ever starred in. Then back to 1813, to Pride and Prejudice. Not always the funniest novel, but certainly a romance, and a comedy in the oldest definition. It ends with a marriage. Then, it stretches all the way back to a man who made ample use of that definition. William Shakespeare, who imbued all of his comedies with romance and ended almost all of them, from A Midsummer Night's Dream to Much Ado About Nothing, with, yeah, a marriage. The romantic comedy has been around for a long time, and it's not, as it's often derided, a shallow genre. Quite the opposite, really. It contains some of the most significant works in the Western canon, but it does have its fair share of cliches, too. You know, they, they um, laughed, they cried. You know, there was good, there was bad, there was anger, there was sadness. It was a true, raw love. Most romantic comedies follow the same structure. Fade in on your stereotypical protagonist, a starry-eyed hero on the hunt for love. I was always an old soul my whole entire life. Uh, I was always like, uh, when I was when I was in like the fifth grade, I was hanging out with like uh, adults, like really wanting to pick their brains and like things like that. And uh, I always loved talking to older people specifically, like people in their 70s and 80s about their lives and what they regret, uh, what they would change. And uh, I, I found that Amongst everyone, uh, men and women, it, it like really didn't matter. Um, everyone had this love story that you know, like they like wish they could go back and fix something with their um, ex-wives or husband, or or they wish that you know they had that chance to talk to that girl or guy when they were like 20. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that I figured out so many people settled for less. Then it's time for the meet cute where the protagonist runs headfirst into their soulmate, even if they don't know it yet. I actually never wanted to be a, a writer, or I, I, I actually never wanted to have any, anything to do with um, English either, reading books, nothing like that. Um, I always hated it, but one thing that I always loved to do was journal. Often, during the meet-cute, the protagonist is involved with someone else, maybe someone who looks good on paper, maybe even someone who makes them happy, but 
not someone that they're meant to be with. And um, then when I got to college, what uh, what happened was um, I'm a very big New York Giants fan, but I found this website called sportsblog.com um, that just allows anyone to start a blog and like start writing. Mm. So I I really cut my teeth there, and uh, I made it pretty far in the sports blogging industry. Actually, uh, I got a work published in a few local newspapers in Queens. And uh, I, I actually got to interview um, Odell Beckham, the New York Giants star wideout. But because of the obstacles in their path, the main couple parts ways. I never thought about writing a novel just because, you know, it, it, it's so daunting. By now, I'm sure you see where I'm going with this. There are all sorts of love stories in the world. Romantic comedies and star-crossed lovers, soulmates and platonic friends, even the love between a creator and the art that they are creating. Uh, I have one life, uh, and I and when I die, I want to be remembered for doing something that was great. I want to be remembered for having a creative mind and for inspiring people. These love stories can be wildly different, but there will still inevitably be commonalities, because cliches exist for a reason. For a word or a saying or a plot mechanism to become overused, it must first be used. A lot. And that means there must be something about it that resonates. In fact, phrases and devices that are now considered cliche were almost always once considered very poignant. These days, happily ever after is little more than a Disney catchphrase, and one that inspires cynicism in all but the freshest readers. But once upon a time, it was a phrase deployed by the Brothers Grimm to give their eponymously grim fairy tales an escapist element at the end. Their tales were anything but Disney. They were parables about real-life trials and tribulations that everyone faces, and they often ended with some sort of sacrifice, dismemberment, or even death. But the protagonists still lived happily ever after, to satisfy the reader's need for a happy ending, sure, but also to acknowledge that such endings only exist in fiction. Over time, however, the phrase became overused, and then diminishing returns set in, and then voila. The poignancy was gone. People get so confused that they think love is this happily ever after, and it, it's so much more than that. Which might explain why Anthony was so hesitant to pursue writing romance, even if on some level he knew it was meant to be. I, I didn't want to make it this cliche, you know, Fabio kind of romance novel. I really wanted to make it a beautiful um, love story. Of course, romantic comedies very often end in the same way, too. Happily ever after. Usually with a marriage, or at least with the main couple realizing their love and reuniting. And as we all know, Anthony did eventually realize that he loved writing, at least enough to publish his debut novel, Finding Forever, and to publish it under pretty crazy circumstances to boot. At a certain point in love and in life, you realize you shouldn't settle for less. So how did you wind up um, going from, you know, writing about sports to writing like romantic comedies? As, I, as much as I love to write about um, specifically football and, you know, I, I, I like made it pretty far in uh, that industry. Like, you know, it, I just felt like I was wasting my creative talent and that's not knocking um anyone who does sports like it, it does have like a uh, what's the word like a creativity of its own but it's still very structured 
you basically have to follow um, a specific formula every single time. Sure. And, you know, and it's too, it's too, it, it was always too rigid for me. Some words or phrases can be used often and still do not become cliches, simply because there's no other word or phrase for what they describe. Like love, that crazy feeling that no one can really describe, so we lean heavily on the word instead. If you love someone, you'll do anything for them. And in Anthony's case, if you don't love what you're doing, you stop doing it. Here's another example. The elephant in the room. The idiom is so common in our vernacular that it no longer conjures that beautiful, horrifying image of being crammed into a chamber with an enormous mastodon, and yet, there is no better phrase to describe an obvious thing that people nevertheless won't discuss. Ergo, when I say let's talk about the elephant in the room, even though I'm using a phrase that is arguably overused, I still use it, somewhat confidently, without worrying too much that you will turn off this podcast because you find me too cliché. So, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The romantic comedy is more commonly known as a genre of film, not fiction. Now, as I mentioned, its history goes much deeper than that, but the fact remains, you might be wondering why a writing podcast cares so much about the genre that produced Geely. Well, the answer is simple, because Anthony does too. So it's interesting you talk about um, your writing process is almost like um, making a movie. And you mentioned that your your background is a lot of its interest in film and, you know, you went to school for it. And then you actually said this started as as a movie um, before it became the book. Can you kind of walk me through that whole trajectory? Sure. So um, I was halfway through my bachelor's. Uh, at Queens College. And then when it got time for me to really decide what I wanted to do with my life, um, I realized I was kind of lying to myself. I really was always, uh, as a kid, I I always watched movies with my dad. And uh, I realized that, you know, I was doing the wrong thing. So so I I really, I was all ready to go to uh, St. John's University and study sports management and really go with the sports track. Because at the time, I, I wanted to work in the NFL. And uh, then I just all of a sudden did a total 180. And then I went to uh, NYIT to study communications. And uh, that ended up being the best decision of my life. Uh, because I ended up writing a script, a romantic comedy that became uh, my published book. So one of my favorite movies is uh, When Harry Met Sally. The inspiration for that came from Annie Hall. And my 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 goal was kind of to create something like that because I saw how iconic those movies were and how much people loved it. And I, I kind of wanted to create my own version of that. And uh, I never thought about writing a novel just because, you know, it, it, it's so daunting. It, 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 it's such a daunting thing. Uh, I'm very uh, I'm very impatient and. That's a long process. So I said to myself, you know what? Let me write a script and let me let me see w- what I can do with that. And then I, I, I wrote a script that is exactly like the book. And uh, I realized to myself how hard it is to make a uh, script a movie. Like it, I, I might as well play the New York lottery every single day and, and I would have a better chance of, uh, of winning the lottery. So I said to myself, if I really want to make this something... I should make it a book because at the end of the day, I could self-publish it and I have more control. And he did. I self-published my first novel, Finding Forever. Uh, 
Finding Forever is the story of a neurotic uh, Italian-American man um, who meets a quirky Broadway actress and is inspired to write a novel about her and his love experience. Clichés and writers have a loyal, time-worn relationship. There was passion there, but it started to dim. And it's very easy, especially for first-time authors, to lean on clichés for comfort, even though the best writing and love happens outside the comfort zone. But just like an age-old marriage, most clichés come from a good place, and with enough care and attention to detail, they can be made worthwhile. During the uh the process of writing the book um what did you did you do anything specific to kind of preempt any criticisms that might come and kind of step around them or you know avoid some of the pitfalls or the cliches that that people might associate with the genre my main goal believe it or not was um pretty simple it was detail i was obsessed with detail i wanted to bring the person um, right to the moment, whether it's, you know, whether it's a mark on somebody's face or like a heavy breath or anything like that. I really wanted to make it like I didn't want it to make I, I didn't want to make it this cliche, you know, Fabio kind of romance novel. I really wanted to make it a beautiful um, love story. So one of the tricks that I do is uh, I love music and people people would probably say, what does music have to do with writing? But in like my mind, it goes like hand in hand. So if I if I have a song in my head, and uh, I'll kind of create this like little like film strip of like a scene, like as I'm uh, I'll do this before I actually hit the keyboard and like start to write, and uh, just kind of based off the music, I'll kind of create you know I like picture my two characters in this scene, and every every song has you know ebbs and flows, highs and lows. So um, I kind of went along with that. I, I wanted the reader to be literally sitting in the character's shoes and be right there like they were watching a movie. Like they were there the whole entire time. And uh, another thing that I did to kind of create that was um, I went and I saw things with my own eyes. So in my book, um, there's, a, there's a portion of the book where my characters go to Italy. I actually uh, booked the trip to Italy and visited the towns and places that I put into the book. So I wanted to see it with my own two eyes to make sure that what I wrote was um, accurate and realistic. Here's one last story to illustrate why, with enough inspiration and detail, you can retread any story, no matter how well-worn. In 1511, a man named Luigi de Porto fell in love with Lucina Sarvignan at a Venetian ball. However, his uncle and Lucina's guardian were members of warring Friulian clans. Luigi and Lucina were torn apart by their family's violence, and years later, after he was wounded to the point of paralysis and she was married off to someone else, he sat in a via in Veneto and wrote a story about two lovers, Romeo and Julieta. Even the greatest romance ever written was based on a novel that was based on a true story that, by the time Shakespeare got his hands on it, was already well on its way to becoming a cliché. As a first-time or fortieth-time writer, you'll probably have a very hard time avoiding clichés. They're baked into our culture, and to be a little cliché myself, there's nothing new under the sun. 
But in the words of another former screenwriter who leaned on his creativity rather than on cliches, every story has been told. It's our job to do it one better. Anthony Sharada, it appears, took Stanley Kubrick's words to heart. My um, goal, I, my goal was to you know put out a perfect product, and uh, a lot of writers' goal is probably that. And my advice to them is to do the best that you can, but realize that it's not always going to be perfect. Like, uh, don't be impatient. Um, really take your time. Cherish it like it's your baby. Literally, like it's your baby. And um, do the best that you can to nourish it. So you feel like writing itself is almost a love story. Like, you got to, you know, take your time, understand things aren't going to be perfect, but they're going to be worth it if you, you know, put all of yourself into it. That's exactly what I'm getting at, yes. Brought to you by Readsy, this is Bestseller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest today was Anthony Sharada. You can purchase his books on Amazon or on his website at anthonysharada.com. That's Anthony, S-C-I-A-R-R-A-T-T-A dot com. And you can follow him on Twitter at A-N-T underscore Sharada. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. And please keep your eyes peeled for more addendum episodes, as well as the premiere of our second season, coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.